Okay, if you um, if you like titles, you can call this talk this. I am an egg yolk. I am an egg yolk. I've got a little meditation that goes with it. Would you like to hear it? Ah, Steve's up for it, so that's all right. I am an egg yolk at one with the white, protected by the shell. I am an egg yolk. Yes, I am. Thank you. It felt profound when I wrote it. And it is profound when you understand what I'm on about. Um, so before you think I've lost it more than usual, let's explore why it might be helpful to think of yourself as an egg yolk. Um, last week, of course, Derek shared from John 4, and we're going to be exploring those words and, and launching off them. But before we get into John 4 in future weeks, I wanted to hopefully express more clearly than I have done previously your connection to God. And as we go through this morning, we're going to have a couple of silla moments. Silla means rest, pause. And um, phasia, because the music won't play through the speakers this morning, so I'll get you instead, which is better. So, so we're just as we're going to go through, I didn't want to just kind of go through it all. I felt like there were some moments where we just needed to silla, allow it to soak in a little bit, just for a few moments. Um, so that, that's kind of what we're going to do. But we're going to start off in Luke in chapter 17. Which says this, now when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So Jesus, he's asked a question by the Pharisees, they expect he's going to talk about some external event, he goes, no, 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 you're not going to say it's there or it's there because it is within you. It's something much more profound than something that goes on externally. And in most, that's from the New King James. In most other versions, it says it's in your midst. But that kind of gives this idea that it's kind of in the ether around you somewhere. But actually, the Greek means in, within. Within you is a much, seems to me, more accurate translation of what Jesus is trying to say. So the kingdom, the place where the king rules and reigns, and the place where all provision and healing and light flow from, is within you. And this is a truth that I think we've got to marinate in more and more this year. A truth we need to know, because of course we're aware that if we know it, it'll set us free. But the key is in the depth of the knowing. Or we could say the key is accepting what we know as truth over any other truth that we hold. The undeniable truth, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, of course if the kingdom of God is within you, then it's not really outside of you. Except it is outside of you because it's in you and me and each other. But we fall into this trap, and I'm going to show you why. We fall into this trap of thinking that somehow it's out there somewhere, and God is out there somewhere, and what I need is out there somewhere. And we often see it in one another. We see the reign of God and the life of Jesus in someone else who has worked hard to express it, and we it's easy to look to them and go to them to find what we need, to find the love, the grace, the reassurance, the security we're looking for. And that's fine when you start out, because you need people to show it to you. It's fine when you start out. 
But the truth is, the same Christ of the kingdom is in me and is in you. And there is not more of him in me than there is in you. There is not more of him in you than there is in me. According to scripture, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and me. Now, you may have learned to express that Christ better than me. You may have learned to show him forth more than me, but that doesn't mean there's more of him in you than there is in me. It simply means your awareness and consciousness of the truth of reality is greater than mine. And it's really important we get this because if we don't, we handicap ourselves in our journey towards understanding the incredible gift of Christ in us. If we think, well, they got more than me, or she got more than me, then we kind of we start from a, a, a kind of disadvantage, don't we? But it's not actually true. It's not true that anybody has got more of Christ than you have. You have exactly the same as everybody else. What we do have is different gifts and personalities and expressions. But those gifts are just that. Gifts, they are nothing to do with the measure of Christ available to us and present on the inside of us. Sophia has a gift to make music. I have a gift to teach the word. Anne has a gift of administration. Phil has a gift to teach. Like There's all these different gifts around, but that's completely different from the amount of Christ that's in you. It's totally different. That's just how you express him. Or, how, or should I say, how you find it easy to express him. Because you just flow in your gift. That's easy. If you learn to navigate it and learn where it is and learn to allow him to flow through it, it's easy. But our problem is that for way, way too long we have thought dualistically. I'm going to explain what that means as I go through. We've thought of two worlds. We've thought there's a spiritual world and there's a material world. There's a world we inhabit and there's a world God inhabits. And as I go through this list, just think about how you've thought over the years. We have thought of God coming down from somewhere else at Christmas to be with us, to enter our world. We've been taught we have to ask Jesus to enter into our hearts from someplace outside of us. We've prayed to a God who was out there somewhere and asked him to come from out there, wherever there is, in our realm to fix our space. We've practiced spiritual disciplines and rituals such as fasting and praying to try and persuade this God who is out there somewhere to do something in our sphere and our place. We've read a whole book of the Bible called Revelation as though there's a whole other world called heaven and a whole other world called earth and at some point this is all going to go apart and this is going to hit. It's like there's all this dualism around, this idea of two spaces. And it's very core. The idea is that you and God are separate and that Christianity is about you trying to get back together with God. But Jesus was not dualistic. He just wasn't. It's, not, it's how we've thought, but it's not reality. We've lived, we've, we've lived like, like life like this, practiced faith like this, seen Jesus like this. If only we could get this God who is out there to come down and fix this, everything would be all right. If I can invite this Jesus who is out there into me and then somehow get him into me and then back out of me, it'd all be all right. I don't see the world like that. And I don't think that's how it is. Because this is what Jesus said. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, Father. May they also be in us so the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one 
as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this is Jesus, and his prayer is all about oneness. It's all about being together. It's about the togetherness of the Father and the Son. And it's about what will happen when that togetherness is outworked. Here's the thing I've seen really clearly. Either we are separate, two separate beings, and become one. So if you think of it, we talk about when people get married, they become one. So they're two separate entities, two completely different people, and they come together, they get married, and they become one. But they're still two separate entities. And lots of us have thought that that's what it's like with Jesus, that we are two completely separate entities, and now we're going to become one. In fact, some of us, you'll have seen this. I, I didn't know what they'd do with something, but I, I'm going to. Okay. This is how lots of us got taught the problem was. Okay. There's me. And I've got wages and sin and death, and I'm completely separated from God by a great giant, giant, giant chasm. Okay? Because on the other side of this big giant gap and separation is God, the eternal life and a free gift. And all I've got to do is believe because Jesus came and bridged the gap. You've heard this illustration. Now, Jesus did come and bridge the gap, and he is the way of the Father. But I don't think there's ever been a chasm. Let me show you why. You see, if there's a chasm, if there's a great big gap between you, then you were separate and now you've been brought together. But you started off separate. That gives you a challenge because you're dealing with your separateness. And when you start from a place of separateness, you're constantly trying to get back together. And what happens when we see the world like this is we walk across the bridge, but then we get something wrong, so we go back over here again, and then we realize it's wrong, so we have to go back and be connected again, and then we get it wrong again, so we're separated again, and we live this constant life of yo-yoing backwards and forwards between separation and connection. I don't believe we need to live a life of yo-yoing between separation and connection because I don't believe we were ever separated. There was a period in history when mankind was separated, as I'll show you, but that was not this millennium or the previous millennium. So unless you're living two millennia ago, you were not separated. Let's keep walking through it. Here's where the egg yolk comes in. You see, you can be two separate beings. You can be separated uh, as they are in that bridge illustration, or you can be an egg yolk. An egg yolk is a separate identity to the white and the shell, but it only exists and comes into being with the oneness of the white and the shell. It doesn't exist on its own. Now, afterwards, you can separate it, but you don't get an egg yolk just appearing. A chicken doesn't kind of go, and there's an egg yolk appears. Does it? It's one. It's a separate identity, but it's one. Now, that egg yolk could look around and decide that it's separate from the white and the shell, but the reality is it's not. Here's the key question. Is our starting point with God, like the bridge illustration, or is our starting point with God like that of an egg yolk? Or to put it separately, are we, trying, are we looking to try and persuade ourselves that we are one with someone who is separate and outside of us? Or are we looking to become aware of the oneness we already have with God who is love? That's the question. And I want to take a few moments to just marinate in that question.
Are we looking to try and persuade ourselves that we are one with someone who is separate and outside of us? Or are we looking to become aware of the oneness we already have with God who is love? try and expand this a bit more for you. So we know, don't we, from Ephesians 1 and verse 4, that before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. That's what it says. God chose you in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So before you were thought about by any human being, you were thought about by the Father and you were chosen in him. So before the foundation of the world, you were not separate. You were not separate from love because God, of course, is love. So to be with God is to be with love. Because according to, I think it's uh, somewhere in one of the letters of John, it says God is love. Okay, so to be with God is to be with love. Because uh, love is not an attribute of God. Love is not something God gives or does. Love is who God is. So if you were in him, if you were in God, you were in love by definition. So you are found in love before the foundation of the world. Right from the beginning, you are one with God and one with love because he is love. That you were not separate in any sense. Now, if you start your Bible in Genesis 1 like I do, 
rather than Genesis 3, like a lot of people seem to do, you start with connection. Because Genesis 3, the fall, that's all about separation. But my Bible has Genesis 1 and 2, which starts with connection. It starts with togetherness. Okay? So think about Eden, Adam and Eve. Before, before sin, they were not separate from God. They existed in a form that could interact with a physical earth, but they were together with God in the garden, and God walked and talked with them in the cool of the day. They were together. There was no separation whatsoever. So they existed on the earth in human form, and there was a connection with God. Then, of course, we know sin enters, and they're banished from the garden. And at this point in history, there's now a separation. That's really clear. So at that point in history, there's separation. Until about AD 33, when Jesus dies, it's true to say that every human being was separated from the Father. Because that's what the Old Testament's all about. It's about letting you know you're separated. And that whatever you do, you can't get reconnected. That's the whole point of all the sacrifice, all that stuff that goes on. That's the whole point. But Jesus comes along, and through his death and resurrection, he deals with all the issues that kept us separated from Father, from love. So it was true before Jesus that humanity was separated from God, from love. But you don't live before Jesus' death. You live in 2024. And what does Paul have to say about our connection to Jesus? This is what Paul says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am convinced. Now that would be nice, wouldn't it? If we could be as convinced. Are we convinced? Yet. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor powers, height, depth, nor anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So according to Paul, there is no separation. There's nothing that comes between us and God, between us and love, because God is love. So you are not separate from God. You are not separate from Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. You are together. You are one with them now, today, exactly as you are. And you'll be one with them tomorrow, no matter what you do or don't do. Because your togetherness with them is not based on your words or your actions, but on his words and actions. Your togetherness is not based on your words and actions. It's based on his words and actions. You see, you are... Right now, one with the Father, with God, with love, because of the actions of Jesus. Now, whether you are aware of that or not is a whole other ballgame. But reality, true reality, is that you are right now one with the Father, with God, with love, because of the actions of Jesus. All right. I want to take a couple of minutes. Meditate. On that thought, you might just want to read it over and over again because that is true. That's the truth of the scripture and truth of reality. You are right now one with Father, with God, with love because of the actions of Jesus.
by right now. One with the Father, with God, with love, because of the actions of Jesus. But you see, we seem to think that when we were born into the earth, we were somehow separated from the God we were in before we got here. But, but think about Jesus. In John, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word being Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. When the Word became flesh, he did not stop being the Word. And he was not separated from God. How could the word of his God be separated from God just because he took on flesh? Of course, did he lose all his heavenly privileges? Yes, we read that in Philippians. But he didn't stop being the word. The word just took on flesh so that you could see him and interact with him. Christ, who was before all and in all and through all, took on flesh so he could experience this life and show you what it might mean to be fully human. He didn't stop being the Word. He didn't stop being Christ. And the truth is, all you've done is followed the path of Jesus. You were in the heart of the Father before the foundation of the world, and then you were born into the earth, and you became flesh so you could interact with this world. And when you took on flesh, you didn't stop being you, and you didn't stop being connected to God to love. Just as you won't stop being connected to God and to love when this flesh stops working, and you go and be with Him again. But we somehow think we start off with Him, we get to earth and we take on flesh and then we lose all connection. We've got to scrabble around trying to find it until we die, until we kind of automatically get it back again. What if it's just one long continuum of connection in a different reality? What if you've always been connected and you are now connected and you're going to be connected? But in this season, you have taken on flesh. What does happen is that our awareness of our connection can get lost while we're on the earth. We forget. Or more likely, we go through some things that cause us to doubt and make it hard to believe we are connected to love. But the only reason we doubt we are connected is because we make all sorts of assumptions about what it means to be connected. We assume that being connected with love means we should not be hurt, we shouldn't experience rejection or pain or loss or heartache. But they're all assumptions we make that are not in Scripture. What you go through on the earth, again, it's a bit like we said before. There's, there's Christ in you, and then there's your gifts. Two completely separate things. There's your connection, and then there's what you go through. Two completely separate things. We may well feel a separation. But nowhere in Scripture does it talk about you feeling connected or feeling loved. It talks about you knowing the truth. Because, of course, Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To, 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 to finish, we'll circle back to where we started. If you know the truth, the truth will set us free. But the key is accepting what we know as truth over any other truth that we hold. Because our experience teaches us all sorts of truths. Because we've become flesh, we experience this world with all its pleasantness and unpleasantness. And that causes us to believe some truths which feel very true to us. We look at our lives and our experience and we conclude all sorts of things. 
perhaps we conclude we're alone or that no one cares or we don't have enough or we're not worthy or we're unlovable or we're destined to failure or we're not good enough or whatever other negative thought feels true and looks true based on our experience. And they're all valid and understandable thoughts and truths based on our experience. But Christianity really is about which truth are you going to put highest. That's really what it's all about. Which truth are you going to put at the top? Which truth will you allow to reign supreme in your mind over all other truths? Because the truth itself can do nothing according to Jesus. You knowing the truth can do everything. But what I'm seeing is that, is that one truth that really can transform your thinking is this truth that you are in him. You are together. You are one. You are not trying to get connection. You are not trying to jump an immense chasm in order to get to God and then do your best to stay there in case you get it wrong and get cast back to the other side of the chasm where there's this great big separation. No, you are in him. You are found in him. And he is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you are also in him. You realize that it's almost impossible to not be in him unless you deliberately tell him you don't want to be in him repeatedly. I think that might mean what Paul means when he talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. That's you going, I actually don't want to know you, Jesus. I don't want anything to do with you. And you repeatedly and continually say it. Well, the gentleman he is, eventually he'll go, okay. But very few of us ever get to that point. We just start to believe that we're not connected when really we are. I want to finish by reading Paul's words again to you from Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sorrows. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present or future, powers, high or depth, nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You are, right now, one with the Father, one with God, and one with love because of the actions of Jesus. You are not separate. You are one. keep talking about this as we go forward but I think I've come to see that if we can start to grasp the reality that you are one with him and that you are not separate from him it just hits tons of stuff So, Father, right now, 
I want to thank you that we are one with you, Lord. Because of the actions of Jesus, we are one with you. And we recognize, Father, that our minds, our minds tell us all sorts of things and our emotions tell us all sorts of things. But right now, Father, I thank you that our spirits know the truth. Our spirit knows it. And I ask that you would help our minds catch up with what our spirit already knows. I am not separate from love. I am not separate from Jesus. I am not separate from Father or Holy Spirit. I am connected deeply with them because of the actions of Jesus. And Father, we're asking that that awareness would grow deeper and deeper in us. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. There's just something I picked up on me, in me, and it might be for some of you as well. There's a, I felt the argument of how can we be one when we are so different or when I have all this, there's this stuff in me that is nothing like you. And how then can we be one? We don't see how it's possible because there's, dis- there's disagreement, there's uh, difference. And that all sits in this rational, legalistic part of our minds and our understanding. It's an understanding thing. It's a head thing. Yeah. And uh, I am going to work hard to just kill that because all it does is reinforce the separation. But I just feel like it will block. If we don't deal with that, it's going to block the, the truth of that in us, that we are one with him and we're one because simply because this is nothing to do with the legalism. It's nothing to do with the, the rules or the how can we be one when we're different and disagreeing with you. It means this. We can we be one because it's simply the heart of the Father yeah. to be one. Yeah. That's it. And anything that comes in your mind to argue is that is in your mind. We can be one because it's the heart of the Father. It goes beyond everything else. So I just want to thank you, Father, for your heart for me. Your heart for us. That is what I feel. That is what we sense in our spirit every time. We want to put that, the truth of your heart up at the top.